We're in this series called uh, Chao Roma. You can kind of see the, uh, the pillars here that we made to kind of give a little bit of an environment of the Roman Empire in the first century. But when I say Chao Roma, it just sounds so Minnesotan, right? Chao Roma. So we have a longtime member of our congregation. She's kind of like our resident Italian. And uh, she is gonna, she's going to say it in a real nice Italian tongue. And her name is Joanne Burton. Let's give Joanne a hand. Buongiorno, signore. Come si sente oggi? Bene, grazie. <laughs> uh, sono molto contenta uh, di essere uh, e parlare con voi tutti. Grazie. <laughs> Thank you. Give Joanne a hand. That's good. She even has her Ita- uh, the, the nation of Italy, Italy or the uh, Italia uh, shirt on. It kind of looks like Superman. And she has her cross on from the Vatican, too. So very special. Thanks, Joanne. That was so good. So ciao, Roma. That's the best I can do. Anyways, we're going to be diving into this series over the next seven weeks. It's going to take us all the way up to the week before Christmas. So during Advent, we're going to be in Romans and I'm very excited about this, this book. And it's the sixth book of the New Testament, if you're not quite sure what it is. And for many scholars, that they, they argue that this is probably the most important book in the entire Bible when it comes to Christianity. Uh, the most valuable. In fact, one, in fact, one scholar says that if you had nothing else but the book of Romans as you were deserted on an island, you would be fine as a follower of Jesus. So we're going to explore this. We're going to look at the words and the pages of Romans that are so explosive and so revolutionary and so powerful that it actually impacted Martin Luther when he was a monk to the point that it opened his eyes to what sin was, to what salvation was, what to righteousness was, that is right standing before God. And it so impacted him so much that he wrote the 95 Theses and then he led the Reformation. The words in the book of Romans moved John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, so much that he led the Great Awakening, thereby saving England. And more recently, about 20-some years ago, a local pastor here in the Twin Cities, a well-known pastor, 18 years into his uh, senior pastorate, he finally said, I finally feel qualified to preach in the book of Romans. This is beautiful. And for the next six and a half years, he did so. 255 sermons in Romans. So if you think seven weeks is long, imagine 255. And some of you gave me a hard time last year when we were like 22 weeks into Genesis, you know. Come on, let's move on to something else. Can you imagine six and a half years? But that's how powerful Romans is. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans. And we'll be doing this over the next handful of weeks. As I mentioned, the sixth book of the New Testament And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then I'm going to jump over to verses 15 through 17. And a lot of what you need to know about Romans is found right here in the opening words uh, of Paul in in chapter 1. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and then verses 15 through 17. And you'll find this in your teaching notes, and also you'll see it on the slide behind me as well. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from Paul. Jesus Christ's slave, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. This 
good news was promised long ago by God through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. It is the good news about his son Jesus who came as a man born into King David's royal family line. And Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be the son of God when God powerfully raised him from the dead by the means of the Holy Spirit. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority to tell the Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him in bringing glory to his name. You are among those who have been called to belong to Christ Jesus. That belong, by the way, it's the same word as slave or bondservant, doulos in the Greek. Belong to Jesus Christ, to be a slave to Jesus Christ. Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly and he has called you to be his very own people. May grace and peace be yours from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say, first of all, that your faith in God is becoming known throughout the world. It's amazing. These Christians in Rome, their faith is becoming known around the world. This is no small thing. How I thank God through Jesus Christ for each one of you. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by telling others the good news about his son. Jumping over to verse 15. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach God's good news. For I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, Jews first and also Gentiles. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. And the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Okay, so what I want to do is kind of break down uh, this book, kind of an introductory uh, sermon on the book of Romans, first answering the question of who? Who wrote this? Well, it says Paul. And I want to kind of give you just, just a brief outline of a biography on Paul. He was Saul in the day. Grew up in a strong Jewish family. He's from Tarsus and well-educated. And he was in an educational system that some, some scholars believe that, for example, a Jewish boy would memorize uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, by the age of six, they would memorize that. And then roughly around the age of 10 or so, they would uh, memorize all the way the end of the Old Testament to the Italian prophet Malachi. Sorry, Malachi. That's kind of a, kind of a joke. All right, but by the age of 10 or 11 or so, they would memorize the entire Old Testament because the goal of every Jewish boy in that day was to be a rabbi. Rabbis are like, I would say, like NBA stars that we have today or perhaps celebrities. Every Jewish boy wanted to be a rabbi. The rabbi was this kind of the center of the neighborhood and the community life of Jewish families. And in doing so, you would have to go through the educational system. And then if you memorize the entire Old Testament, then you could move on to the next step. And that was the, the art of debate, of dialogue. And then in doing so, the rabbis would evaluate you. And if you were good, in, good enough, then a rabbi would come to you and say, come and follow me. And you would spend the next three or four years living with a rabbi and learning his interpretation of the, of the Torah, which, which is called uh, his yoke. And when you did that and you came out, came out of that, if you're good enough, again, it's like one stage after another. It's kind of like our sports system. If you go from traveling team to, to into high school, JV, varsity, etc. 
And that's the way it was in the educational system. If you're good enough to get to that last part and, get, and, and move past uh, in terms of being approved by the rabbi, then this rabbi would say, this, this, this student is ready to go into rabbinical training and to actually be a rabbi. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. He becomes a rabbi. And later on, he becomes a Pharisee. So one of the religious leaders of that day. Now fast forward, because Saul, uh, in, his, in his duties, uh, the, the Jesus movement had began to take off. In fact, Christ was crucified and ascended to heaven, and his followers gathered together in the upper room, about 120 or so, as the book of Acts tells us. And this, this movement, this gospel began to spread. These Christians began to meet together, and pretty soon thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ. And among Saul's duties was to quell this, was to uh, quash it, to snuff it out. And he began to persecute them. In fact, part of his duties was actually to kill Christians. He was there, we believe, in the book of Acts when we have the first Christian martyr named Stephen who is killed. And we believe that Saul was right there. But later on, Saul is on his way to Damascus. And he's riding on a donkey. This bright light shines, knocks him off his donkey, and he hears the voice of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and his life has changed. And he comes to faith in Jesus Christ, gives his life to Jesus. And over the next 10 years or so, he begins to formulate and put the pieces together between the Old Testament teaching that he knows so well and this revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the Savior of the world. And then after that, he begins to plant churches in various locations. So when we pick it up in 57 uh, AD, he's in Corinth, an well, a, a affluent city of Corinth, and he pens the letter to the Romans. He writes this letter to the Romans. And in, uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that Paul writes about as he pens this, uh, the words to the Romans, a very interesting identification He calls himself a bondservant, a slave to Jesus. Now, if you were alive that day, or perhaps you read that, that would have have struck you very odd, because what Paul is essentially saying is that I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave to a dead guy for the secular audience. Jesus Christ, he died years ago. 25 years ago he died. But, but Paul's saying, no, 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 he, he's still alive. You don't see him, but he's still alive. And I'm a slave to him. And, and using that, that word, what he's saying is that I'm, I'm a slave, I'm a bondservant, I am owned, I belong to a greater authority. That's what he's saying. That's huge. The opening words of Romans where he says that. I belong to Jesus Christ. And Paul not only does that there, but he also does it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. You'll see that on a slide here. Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In other words, being a bondservant of Christ means utter submission to what pleases him, not what pleases anybody else. So Paul's understanding is that he is owned and he is ruled and he is possessed by Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. That's who we have here. That's Paul. He wrote this letter. And and as we go through this, as I mentioned about how the the power of Romans uh, had on so many different people, the poet Samuel Coleridge once said that the epistle of Paul to the Romans is probably the most profound piece of literature in human history. 
Samuel Coleridge was not a Christian. That's saying something, okay? So as we go through Romans, for us to understand that this is a prolific work. Now, where? Uh, answering the question of where. It's Rome. And Paul is writing this letter to the city of Rome and the Christians in Rome. Now, he had never, never been there before, never had visited Rome before, didn't plant the churches in Rome at all. Unlike most of, the, of his letters, he planted those churches, like Ephesians, for example. But he had never planted these churches in Rome. We're not quite sure how these Christians began to emerge in the city of Rome, but they did. In fact, there were several, several small churches gathered together in synagogues and in house churches. And Paul is writing this letter to them during this time. And, and, and at this time, too, the, the political climate and the sort of um, atmosphere in Rome is actually very gentle. Because in 57 AD, Nero comes to, uh, to rule. And he's 16 years old. But, but the first seven years or so, he's very, very nice to the Christians. He allows them to gather in the synagogue. He allows them to gather in their house churches. So for the first several years, it's, it's very, very peaceful. And Paul writes this letter because he's writing to these churches to make sure that they understand the basics of Christianity. What it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's exactly what Romans is. It's, it's, it's a treatise on what it is to be a Christian. What it is to be a follower of Jesus. And he walks through that. Walks through salvation. Walks through a number of things. And that moves us to the what. The what. As, we, as I emphasized in my reading in Romans chapter 1, seven times in the first 17 verses, he uses what, what phrase? The good news. This is a letter. This is a book about the good news. In other words, the gospel. Those are synonymous terms. Gospel, good news. Okay? Now, a little historical context in, in terms of that term. It's important for us to understand because that, that term, evangelion, uh, the gospel, the good news, that's what it means, uh, didn't originate with Paul or the Christians. In fact, it was a Roman term. It was a, a Latin term that they used. Because back in that day, so Nero is on the throne. He's all 16 years old. And like many Caesars, there's no cable television. There's no newspaper. So he has to get the word around about Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, the hope of, and dreams that every person would find in Caesar. They would find all they need, their salvation, now, and that's the words they use. Your salvation, your hopes, your dreams would be found in Caesar. So he would send out these young boys into the agora, the marketplaces, into neighborhoods, street corners, um, various places, by the Pantheon perhaps, by the Colosseum. And these messengers, these young boys, would share from a script about all the good news about Caesar that he is your Lord and Savior. You don't have to look to anything else. You, don't, you can't find happiness anywhere else except in Caesar. And he called these young boys, these messengers, evangelists. And the good news, the gospel, as they called it, was called evangelion, 
That was the good news in the first century, that Caesar will provide for you. Caesar will save you. You don't have to look to anything else, okay? Now, Paul and Peter and John, these subversive revolutionary Christians in the first century say, "Uh uh-uh. The good news, the gospel, is not found in Caesar. Mm -mm. It's found in Jesus Christ. They hijack the word. I love it. They take that word from the Roman lexicon and they bring it into Christianity and they say, they say, no, the gospel, the good news, is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the resurrected Lord. Your hopes, your dreams, and your salvation is not found in Caesar. It's found in Jesus And by giving your life to him and believing in him, something miraculous happens in your life. Not only are you saved, not only do you have a place in in, in heaven, not only are you saved from the gates of hell, but also as you are living on earth, you are put into right standing. That you have righteousness as a result of this good news, this gospel, this Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not simply that you're saved, but that you are looked as righteous in God's eyes. Unbelievable. So these early Christians like Paul are trying to get the good news out to more and more people. Don't believe what you hear from Caesar. This is the good news. And Paul hits it seven times in Romans. This is the good news. This is the good news. In verses 16 and 17, he says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Okay, now when we see that word believe, we think, okay, 2 plus 2 equals 4. I believe that. Okay, it's not simply a, a, a logical sort of understanding when we say believe. For Paul, and in, in, in the language here, it's not only what you understand mentally, but it's also what you feel in your heart. It really means to be won over. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're won over by his sacrifice. You're won over by his love. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're won over by your spouse. And you probably can't point to the day and time or the day, the month, whatever, the year, But something occurred, something happened inside you, in your soul, that you were won over by your spouse, and you love your spouse. In the same way, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're won over by the person of Jesus. In verse 17, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight that you and I have right standing. And we're going to talk, a lot, we're going to talk about that in this series, this, this term of, of justification, of right standing, righteousness that we receive. This is accomplished from the start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So for us to understand that, to know that, that as for us, before we, became, we came, came to Christ, that you and I were captive to sin and death. And it's through the power of Christ that we're freed. It's through the power of, of, of Jesus and the good news 
that you and I are free from this captivity. So I want to ask you the question right now. What is the good news for you? What is the good news? And we may have good news about a new job. We may have good news uh, about perhaps getting an A in school, in a big exam. We might have the good news perhaps of financial security. We may have the good news that if the Vikings win or what have you, or the Packers, what have you. But really, when it really comes down to it, when it comes down to the essence of your, your life, what is the good news? What is it that's going to bring you happiness and joy and security for your life both here and in the future? And my prayer for you is that you're going to find it in Jesus Christ. Even you haven't done so already, you have the opportunity to do that. In your program, we uh, provided what's called the Romans Road. I grew up with this. I grew up with this. And, and for some of you, this is brand new. You have no, you've never seen this before. But if you turn it over, the Romans Road is simply the gospel. It walks us through what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, for example, and, and all these verses are in Romans. That's what we call the Romans Road. Very clever, isn't it? Okay, thank you in the back. <laughs> so, first of all, what, what Romans teaches us is that we all fall short of God's standard. No matter how good you think you are, you fall short. You might be incredibly talented. You might, you might be... Uh, having taken AP classes, or you may have, have graduated as valedictorian, or you may think you have all these abilities, but in God's eyes, you fall short of his standard because you are born with sin. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Uh, it doesn't stop there. This is the beauty of Romans, Romans 6. But we receive eternal life as a free gift. So you can't earn it. You can't do anything to receive it. It's simply by the grace of God that you receive this free gift. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Here it is. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news. Okay? You look at other worldviews. Scientology, for example. There's many celebrities that are into Scientology, and you have to pay certain amounts of money to get to a certain kind of stage to be sort of spiritual. Thousands of dollars of money, if you read about some of these celebrities, as a way to sort of earn some kind of salvation. Uh, any world religion, you look at Hinduism, Buddhism, you look at them, and there's things that you have to do to earn the favor of God, of their gods. But Christianity is, is singular in that you do nothing and simply receive this gift of God. Next, God demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And we're going to take a moment um, this morning's service during communion, uh, the Eucharist, to actually reflect on that. Um, the sending of his son, his only son, his beloved son, to die on the cross 
for you and for me and to forgive us for our sins. Next, we must trust and surrender to Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be, possibly, perhaps. No. You will be saved. It can't be taken from you. You will be saved. I can't tell you how many times I've used this verse in sharing the gospel with people, how many times I've shared this with people who prayed the prayer to receive Christ in their life based on Romans 10, 9. Absolutely beautiful. You will be saved. It's so authoritative. And what's beautiful about this, when Paul, uh, when he pens this in Romans chapter 10, what he's saying again, because in that day and age, in the first century, Caesar was referred to as Lord, that there was no name under heaven by which anybody could be saved except Caesar. That was the actual verbiage used. And in saying that Jesus Christ is Lord, again, is this subversive, revolutionary perspective that it's not Caesar who is Lord, it's Jesus Christ. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by opening and declaring your faith that you are saved. And saved means to be rescued. And then we have a sinner's prayer for, for forgiveness. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never done this before. And this prayer right here, I've shared this in many funerals. In fact, a funeral, funeral not too long ago, right in this room, where probably 40, 50 people, a lot of people, said this out loud and prayed this prayer. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't done that. And I want to encourage you to look at this and maybe right now, before we take communion, or maybe later on as you go back to your apartment or go back to your condo or your house, your townhouse, that you actually pray this prayer. For those of you who are followers of Christ, I want you to take this and to reach out to somebody in your life, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a family member. And you actually walk through this with them and just kind of go step by step. And then as you do that, that you entertain questions they may have. But you're going to share the gospel with them. You're going to share the good news. You're going to share the best thing that they actually could hear in their life. And, and, and use this as a way to talk to them. Because some of us, you know, when it comes to sharing about Jesus, we kind of fumble with our words. We get nervous. We get anxious. And we're not quite sure how to say it. But, but, but something like this is a very valuable tool. And that's one of the reasons why we made so many. And there's more at the Welcome Center. And we're going to have them available in the course of, the, of this uh, sermon series because it's my prayer, it's my hope that at least one person comes to faith in Jesus Christ during this sermon series. I already have a person in my life that I'm going to be sharing this with this, this week and bringing this with me and walking through this with them. And again, answering the questions the best I can but then getting to the very, very bottom and asking them, would you pray this prayer? And then Paul uh, affirms and makes sure that, that uh, we are assured of our salvation through Jesus on the very bottom, Romans ten thirteen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. So that's part of the what, the gospel, the good news. And we'll be going through that throughout the series in the book of Romans. But also, and I'm just going to mention it briefly because we're going to spend a lot of time on this. The other what that we see in the book of Romans is God. Over and over and over again. And I just love this commentary. There's, one of my privileges as a pastor is to research and read commentaries and scholars. And to some of you are like thinking, man, Craig is insane. He needs, he needs medical treatment. But I love, I love research. I love reading commentaries. And pro- probably among the top commentaries I come across in Romans is Leon Morris, a classic commentary. He writes this. Romans is a, a book about God. Everything Paul touches on in this letter, he relates to God. In our concern to understand what the apostle Paul is saying about righteousness, justification and like, we ought not to overlook his tremendous concentration on God. There is nothing like it elsewhere. And I think it's easy for us, you know, um, to get into, you know, these topics of, of righteousness and, and salvation and, and justification, those kind of things. And if you're not quite sure what those terms are, we'll define those along the way. And it's easy for us to kind of get into that sort of the, the theology of Romans and lose sight of God. But Paul never does. That is one of the primary themes next to the good news is God. It's about God. This letter is about the good news, but it's also about God. I want to close with this, one of my favorite worship songs. Just to remind us, because we're going to see this in Romans over and over, and we see it here in the opening pages, who God is. That God's love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. It's exactly what it is. God's love never fails. And the offering of a son, the gift of salvation, for you and I to actually encounter grace, a second chance in life. God's love never fails. As it says in the song, it's higher than the mountains that I face and it's stronger than the power of the grave. And it's constant in the trial and the change. The one thing that remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. On and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I pray and hope that the love of God satisfies your soul. And maybe your soul has been filled with other stuff that seem to bring happiness and satisfaction. But it really comes down to it. There's nothing like the love of God. And I never ever have to be afraid Because this one thing remains, this one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. Let me pray. God in heaven, we are so moved by your love that never fails. That God, that you would have this plan of salvation for us in our lives, to be offered to us. Of any kind of system, of any kind of plan that you could put together and and, and put it out there for us, that you do it out of your love for us. That we, no matter our background, no matter our status, no matter our position in life, that we can call on 
the name of Jesus Christ and to believe in him as our Lord and Savior, and we will be saved. Thank you, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.